Hello, and welcome to Art Matters at Home, a new arts and culture podcast from Philips. I'm your host, Arnold Lehman. After a half century in the art world, mostly as a museum director in Baltimore and Brooklyn, and five years at Philips as senior advisor, which means someone who is old, knows a lot of people, and isn't shy about voicing opinions, hosting an interview series like this seems like a perfect fit for me. So for each episode, like today's, I'll be at my desk having a socially distanced, at-home conversation with friends from around the world, artists, dealers, museum directors and curators, collectors and critics, to learn from them how and what they are doing and what is on their minds today and for tomorrow. So let's get started with our conversation with my friend, CEO and president of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Dan Weiss. I'm delighted uh, that you have a little bit of time to be here. This is just about your fifth anniversary at the Metropolitan, is it not? Yes, it is, exactly. I hope they had a big celebration <laughs> virtually. Yeah, we uh, we haven't gotten to that yet. Everybody's a little distracted at the moment with other things, but it has been five years that I've been here. Well, I, for one, am thrilled uh, when you arrive and thrilled that you are there. Um, I feel, I feel uh, pretty secure having the direction um, of that great, great institution in your hands. I re- I'm not saying that just because it's a nice thing to say on air, but I really do feel that way. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. It is, uh, in good times and bad, it's a great privilege to work at the Met, to be connected to this institution. And even today, I feel lucky to be here. And um, and we'll do, you know, we'll get through this crisis, this as we have in the past, but I am glad to be here. Uh, do you have a chance, like uh, these past couple of weeks, if you go out? I mean, I'm under house arrest by my children. So I've gone nowhere for four weeks, not, neither has Pam. But have you uh, snuck out and walked into the Met and taken a tour around all those great galleries with nobody in them? I have. I, I feel that it's my responsibility to be to the museum a couple of days a week. We have essential staff there, as you know, who have right. the obligation to make sure the institution is safe and secure. And um, so I, I go a couple of days a week. I was there earlier today. And I just go in to greet people and I, I keep my distance and I walk through the museum and just um, just try to, to communicate how much we appreciate what everyone's doing. But I will say it is a very strange thing to be walking through that museum in the middle of the day with no one else around. It's completely quiet. And um, it's a rather powerful experience, I have to say. Well, I, I, the only times um, I ever got to do that was when I worked at the Met um, in the, I guess, late 60s, it goes yeah. back a long time. And I would come in early uh, once in a while so that I could get some stuff done uh, without my boss uh, watching what I was doing and who was Henry Gelzahler at that <laughs> point. And um, walking through the uh, through the the museum and through the uh, at that point you went to the muse- you went to the painting and sculpture department twentieth century painting and sculpture department's offices through the armor court the armory court 
Yeah. Um, it was back there, hidden away. And I always thought how incredible this was, you know, mm -hmm. to be here at 7.30 in the morning and alone. But I never, I, uh, for some reason, I never took advantage of walking through the whole museum, which I always regretted. Um, but it was enough. I stood there with all that great arms and armor and sort of thinking what it was like 500, 600 years earlier. Um, and it was just, even those couple of moments was marvelous every day. It's a very special thing. I, I One of the things I've always enjoyed doing is walking through the galleries after hours when it's quiet in the evening. But to do it, which is very powerful and very special, but to do it in the middle of the day when otherwise you would expect people to be there, there is something a little bit eerie about it. And it got me to thinking about the, the fact that What's keeping us apart at this moment is the risk of obviously contaminating each other through this pandemic. But what brings us together is to see all of this art that is together. And if one thinks about all of the, the things that the objects in our museum have seen and experienced over the course of five millennia, this is just another event in that great saga. And there they are all weathering this. Uh, just like every other event. And it, it's something, I don't know, historically helpful in thinking about it that way. There's a great long arc to the history of the Metropolitan and we're just a little blip in that process. Uh, that's That certainly is true. And I keep thinking that it's, um, it's biology, of course, right now that's keeping us apart. And it's biology that always brings us together. And somehow, <laughs> and somehow it's paradox. Art stand, yeah, exactly. Art stands right in the middle of that. So, yeah. but yeah. I'm what I'm just. Uh, I I would have figured that you were in there, um, greeting people and making them feel that they're not there, you know, alone. So um, I can appreciate it as. A, well, thank you, Max Holine, the director, and I are doing this. He goes in some days. I go in other days. But we both feel very strongly that it's important to to be part of the community that comes in and to make sure that they know we appreciate it. So we try to not see each other directly because of the risks, but he's there or I'm there and uh, we carry on. So you don't stand a two and a half feet apart like the president and the vice president do <laughs> every day. Uh, we have better training, I guess. We know yeah. it's <laughs> if it has to be. Without, so. any, without any question. So I have, a, I have a, a question to ask you. You know, leaving the academic world and uh, not leaving it, but sort of transitioning from the academic world as dean and uh, chairman of our history department at Hopkins and going to university, that's a kind of a smooth transition. But leaving the university world in 2015 and coming to the museum, what was that transition like as an art historian, not just a, another, you know, a university uh, president of an important and distinguished university, but uh, uh, I mean, you were prepared totally academically, but what was that transition like? Well, it, it was, uh, for in some ways, it was a fulfillment of, of an ambition and a goal that I, I had long ago. Indeed, that's how you and I met when you were the director at the, at the Baltimore Museum of Art, and I was a graduate student thinking about careers, I was interested in the possibility of museums. And I came to meet with you and you gave me great insight into what that career path would look like. 
I didn't tell you to become an investment banker. <laughs> no, you didn't. You uh, you said stay the course. And uh, so I've always had an interest in museums as an academic and a professor. I've always used museums. Every every single year that I taught at Johns Hopkins, I brought my classes to the Metropolitan Museum of Art every year because I felt that that experience is such an important part of being an art historian. And I've always entertained the, the idea that it would be really interesting and great experience to work in a museum. Um, so in some ways, there was a fulfillment for me in coming to the Met and having a chance to do that kind of work. About half of what I do I was felt very well prepared for. I knew how to lead a mission-driven institution. I knew how to bring people together around shared governance. I have administrative experience. I understood the mission. So about half of it felt to me quite familiar. The other half was really quite new. And that was extremely stimulating at this point in my career to have a job where it wasn't obvious to me how to do it. I had a lot of learning to do. So I had to listen carefully. I had to meet people quickly who could help me understand better how this museum works. Museums are not like universities. They have different operating requirements that require a, a very different kind of leadership. So I enjoyed the, the challenge of that and the stimulation associated with it. But at the same time, it had been on my mind that uh, working in a museum would be a great thing for as long as I've known Arnold Lehman. Well, <laughs> um... I do appreciate that, and thank you for even mentioning that I had a minute role uh, in this. But but also, you didn't come to the Met when everything was perfect. I mean, there's no better institution, certainly as a museum in this country, and I put it up against uh, pretty much any other national museum, even one without the title. Um, but uh, there were there were tough things. The Met needs to raise a lot of money all the time. There are down periods, like with any institution, this being one. And I want to talk about that. What do you think, what's, what, what is happening with museums as we transition out of this period of separation and into um, the, the whatever world we're going to quickly inherit in front of us? Um, right. But it you know, I know it wasn't easy at the beginning. And now, which I'm really interested in, I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you reopen as an institution. Well, first of all, just to start with the, the when I arrived at the Met, it, I think it's fair to say for anyone who has the opportunity to, to work in these kind of jobs, you never really know the what you're going to in, inherit when you get there. There are always challenges of all sorts, one way or the other. And at, when I arrived at the Met, there were challenges that I was not prepared for, I didn't know about ahead of time. But it's what also makes the work interesting. Every day is different. You don't always know what you're going to have to deal with. No one would have predicted six months ago, let alone uh, five years ago, that we'd be having a conversation now from our homes where we are basically under house arrest, quarantined, waiting for a pandemic to lift and allow the world to get back to work again. So this calls upon us to think carefully at the Met and everywhere else about what are we gonna reopen the museum to be? How will we serve the public and our mission? What kind of challenges and constraints are we gonna be facing? And we've spent a lot of time at the Met over the last several weeks thinking about that. And although we don't know, no one knows yet exactly what the environment will be like when we get there. 
we have certain suppositions about what's going to happen. And I'll start with what may be um, the most obvious, and that is not only are we not going to revert to the museum environment we closed on March the 12th, but we may never do that. That is to say that the, there is more than likely there is going to be a new normal, a new way of interacting socially, of museums serving various audiences. It's going to be different. And we have to be prepared for that. We have to be open to the possibility of change. It therefore also is an opportunity. Maybe we can do our work more effectively. Maybe we can, we can deliver our mission in a new way that is, uh, that is even an improvement. It's not clear at this point, but it is, that's the challenge before us. However, more specifically, we don't know when we can reopen. But once we do, almost certainly, there will be guidelines in place around social distancing which means the museum is not likely to be jam-packed again for quite a while. We'll probably have time to entry, or we might, so as to make sure that when people come to the museum, they can be safe and secure in the knowledge that their visit is gonna be a positive experience and not impose any risk on them. Our challenge is, on the one hand, to make sure that the museum does that, that it's a safe, secure experience, but on the other hand, it is a museum visit is supposed to be a liberating spiritual intellectual exercise. So one doesn't want to make it seem like you're entering a hospital. And we have to make sure that we, we can do the work we must do, but people feel liberated when they arrive to allow their, their aesthetic interest to take them wherever they go. And that's a very big challenge. And you have, a, of course, another role uh, that, that you didn't speak of, but it was inherent in what you said, um, and that is uh, being the number one tourist attraction in the city of New York. Um, and that, that in itself, even when we're not faced with the pandemic or the residue of uh, this extraordinary time, um, it's difficult to be in that position in any event with people uh, flocking into the institution and making decisions about coming to New York um, based on whether they'll be able to see the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Uh, yeah, well, agree. many people all over the country. Actually, I think one of the big questions we're going to have to face is uh, what will the tourist environment look like in New York and elsewhere? I think once the pandemic has passed by, at least the first wave of it, and we all get back to business in some fashion and reopen, I don't know how much global tourism there will be not only to New York, but the great cities for tourism, Paris, Rome, London, New York. I don't know that we're gonna see very large numbers of international visitors for a while. That may take longer to happen. It is um, uh, repeating what someone on TV said a couple of weeks ago. It appears to be the end of the middle seat on airplanes. Yeah. The uh, <laughs> you know, humorous, but, but reflective, of what anyone who's taking this issue, this challenge seriously um, is concerned about. Um, and I think one of the things that is positive about this time of separation and reflection is how many museums have really sought to look at the opportunities of the virtual museum, museums online, exhibitions online. Now, granted, you and I both, uh, I think would, 
prefer standing in front of an object than seeing it virtually. Um, we even like to get close up to objects that we're probably not allowed to get that close to. Um, but the alternative of not, uh, uh, all I'm saying is that the virtual world that we have at our fingertips makes it possible at least for us to do, for you to do and take on the educational role that's so critical and the inspirational role that you mentioned that's so critical to every museum of the world, particularly the greatest museums who carry um, both the, the opportunity and the challenge of um, millennia of history uh, that needs to be shared. Well, I agree. I think in that sense, we might imagine what's coming as a, as a substantial opportunity. There are digital capabilities that we all know are astounding and that all of us are increasingly relying on because we have to. But in the, in the world we're in, in the art museum world, there are many things we can do with digital platforms that allow for there to be wide ranging safe access to intellectual and artistic content of all sorts. And I think all of us will be challenged to raise our game, to do as much as possible that way so that people have access to this. We've already on our website at the Met transformed it to make it more welcoming to people who aren't coming to the Met physically. It's, it's, sir, I have to say, I brought up the subject because I wanted to congratulate you on that. I think it's really superb. Thank you. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. Thank you. Our team has worked very hard to do that. So on the one hand, the digital opportunities are, I think, right before us, and they're both exciting and challenging. But I think less intuitive is the other side of this. For most of us, that's all great. Digital content is very helpful. But direct engagement with works of art face-to-face -face is an unparalleled experience and cannot be substituted for any other way. Yet in, in recent years, museums, as they've become increasingly popular and increasingly well-visited, that experience of engaging directly with works of art isn't always the sublime experience we'd like it to be. Anybody who's ever gone to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa understands that is not the way to experience a masterpiece of art, to be in a room with 5,000 other people all taking selfies of the work of art. Uh, so that, that environment will not continue. We will have to figure out how to make museums welcoming and interesting, but people will have more personal and as it were, intimate engagement with works of art directly in museums because it's safer. But it also is closer to the original experience that's intended, which is to allow people to have a quiet, reflective opportunity to see art directly. And all of us, including the Louvre and the Mona Lisa, are gonna have to figure that out because the old ways won't work anymore. The, I had a conversation with a dear friend who has been a um, involved in the world of art uh, for certainly 50, 60 years um, and visits museums routinely all over the world, goes back to museums constantly and goes back to see the great treasures that are, that are hidden away in so many other churches and municipal buildings all over, particularly in Europe. And um, his comment to me the other day was, it's getting to the point 
where uh, he spends so much time online because he looks at art constantly every day. And when he gets to see the original, I'm chuckling behind all of this, he said, sometimes he's disappointed <laughs> because the virtual looks better. It's, yeah. light, it's lighted better to begin with when someone's taking a, um, a professional uh, photograph of it. It's lighted better. Its surroundings are cleaned up. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, for those reasons and others, he said sometimes he's been disappointed with what he's found in uh, smaller museums and churches all over Europe. Um, but it's, um, I think he's the uh, unusual uh, commentator in that. Um, right. But it's going to be, I'm, I'm really interested to see what comes out of uh, this period. Uh, and I have to say, although I'm always up for challenges, I'm sort of glad that I'm not a museum director at this moment. Um, it's, it's really going to be tough. There's so many things to, so many um, people, and by people I mean also the art and the institutions that need to be satisfied by what we do on behalf of all of these players. Well, I agree. We serve so many different audiences and constituencies, and our, our ambition is to provide something meaningful for all of them. I think what makes it hardest is to confront the reality that because of this pandemic and the economic crisis that follows, all we're really talking about is reduction. We have to do, we have to do fewer things. We have to cut back on our vision and our ambition. We have to reduce staff. We have to cut budgets. And nobody goes into this sort of work for that purpose. On the other hand, and I don't, I don't like doing it either. It's, it's very painful, difficult work. On the other hand, whenever one is faced with a transformational moment, whether it's a good one or a bad one, there is opportunity to question your premises. And I think in the museum world, there were so many things we do really well, but there are a lot of things we could do that are probably more effectively done. We could probably be clearer and crisper about our priorities. And whenever you're facing these kinds of choices, you have to reflect very carefully on what's most important. And at the Met, I think the good news is all of us on the administration, the curators and the administrators would agree as to what the core responsibility of the museum is to the public and to our mission. And we're gonna focus on that. It doesn't require there to be dozens and dozens of special exhibitions a year. It doesn't require us to do all 38,000 special events a year that we did last year. We can still serve our mission very effectively and enlighten the world in various ways with our collections and our scholarship by doing a little bit less better. And it may not be the hand we wanted to be dealt, but it is one we can manage. And I think uh, that's the creative challenge before us is to rise to the challenge and do something exciting and maybe a little different. Um, Dan, it's quite remarkable when you think of it. I, I'm, I didn't check, I should have, but you were kind enough to serve on a panel that I moderated, I think last fall, talking about, I think the subject of the panel was what's happening with our museums in the decade ahead. 
Now, believe me, I'm not any more prescient than anyone else. But when you when you go back and think, although I remember how eloquent you were about these subjects and not far from what you are saying now, but it seems that it was what we were talking about was at so much less meaning and um than we are than we are now what we're now talking about yeah. simply because we don't have um you know our our space is no longer unlimited well whenever you're facing a kind of reduction in 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 resources or when you're facing something that you love that's taken away it requires us all to think about what's important and i reflected on that discussion we had about 6 months ago as well and i think the issues we discussed then around in some ways democratizing museums making sure they are representative of the cultures of the world that the communities who come find meaning in them for everyone the question about governance and who really should have authority over how museums are run you did your homework better than i did <laughs> well i don't know about that but those questions are not going away i think what we're going to we're still going to be asked start to and obligated to have thoughtful responses to those concerns when we reopen it just means that it's the vehicles that we use the environment in which we operate is going to look a little different but i think the good news here and this is very good news is that in the face of this global crisis nobody's turning away from the importance of culture as an engine to inspire and enrich our lives to the contrary in moments of crisis people want to come to the met we hear it again and again it's the place right after 9/11 the mayor called us and said you must open the museum it's a place that needs to be available to people to come and we're hearing the same thing now so the world wants to engage in serious uh community around art and our job is to figure out how to do that in the new environment but we we don't get to um we don't get to to turn away from the key issues we were facing 6 months ago they're still present and they're all um there all issues that museums of every size uh, and resource at every level uh must take into consideration um yeah. there are many museums in the united states and around the world who when uh the states and the communities around them reopen are going to be faced generally with some of the issues that are faced the map or faced the louvre or faced um whatever um of the largest museums um a need to deal with um but those museums that have very small visitation and in in many ways museums that I've always um been envious of can must consider those issues that you just mentioned even if they don't have the situation where they're forced into the kind of ongoing physical separation and other issues that we're going to face in New York for probably years to come so that was a good thing that was a great conversation and <laughs> why um why I thought that was necessary at the time I'm not quite sure um but I'm glad we had it 
And a number of people, uh, different museums around the country told me that they, um, they follow the live stream and were, um, were grateful for it. So I must say, no one, as you said earlier, signed up for this challenge, but yeah. I'm glad there are people in place like you uh, who are able to confront it and deal with it successfully, uh, which is you know, just critical to not only the museum world moving forward, but the world of music and dance and theater that we all enjoy, particularly as residents um, and citizens, I like to say more, of New York City, um, despite the fact that I have to keep calling it the Republic of Brooklyn, uh, have enjoyed uh, throughout history, our brief history. I, I worry about that. I, I agree. I think the cultural richness of New York is one of the, it's, it's foundational qualities that makes New York what it is. And in some ways, art museums can maybe do a better job of regulating social distancing and the rest in the new environment. But theater is, is a different proposition and they're gonna to have to figure that out. But if we lose access to those kinds of offerings, not only in New York, but everywhere, the, the loss is massive. So there's a, there's a great challenge before us and New York is a, as a community of problem solvers, there's no one better but Broadway and Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center and all the small places, they have to figure out how to do their work in an environment where that's not going to be easy. And they have our support. Uh, they need everyone's, they need everyone's support. So tell me, in these five years that you've now been at the Met, are there any particular children that you've adopted as you know, those works that you've just come to love as you go to your office every day or you make a special trip to see them. I always had one at the Brooklyn Museum, but that started in my childhood when it was first purchased and yeah. continued to, to this day. But I wonder if any, without, um, <laughs> this is difficult of course for you because every one of your curators is tuned into this program right now without question. Um, are you free to say that anything um, makes you feel especially good every day, in addition to just walking in to the museum? Well, I, I guess I'll answer that in two ways. First of all, I, I have always, my greatest artistic interest has always been, though I am a medievalist by training and spent 10 years as a professor of medieval art, in some ways my greatest artistic interest is in the classical world. And uh, I've always been most interested in late antiquity and the rise of medieval culture out of, out of the classical world. And so I've always loved the Greek and Roman galleries at the Met, always. And those are the places I go most often. And uh, just because of it's, those works of art are old friends and I have studied them and appreciated them my whole life. But one of the great joys, so I do that. But one of the great joys of working at a comprehensive museum, as you know from your own experience, is you're surrounded by things you don't necessarily know that much about and curators who have so much to teach to teach us. And so I have found that my horizons have been broadened in wonderful ways by working across the institution and, and seeing what it is that, that our collections have and what our curators are up to. And I've learned a tremendous amount in areas that's new to me. So one of the things I actually really like to do now 
is not just go to the places I, I'm used to going, but I'll pick a direction and I'll walk. And I know in any place that I go, I'm going to see things that are beautiful and fascinating that are new to me. And that's another reason why working in an art museum at this stage in my career has been so rewarding because uh, I used to think I knew a lot as an art historian because I was a medievalist with training in Western Europe and all of that. I didn't know anything. I showed up at the Met and there's this whole vast place full of history of culture that I didn't know anything about. So I feel like I'm starting over again in a way that's very rewarding and quite exciting. Uh, I think very little could be better than that. Um, I have to tell you just a quick funny story because I was reminded when you said when you first came to the Met um, five years ago uh, that there was so much unknown, so much to see, so much that you had no knowledge of. And I, the funniest story for me is I had been at the museum in Brooklyn for five or six months. And I always noticed on the elevator buttons leading up to my office, which was on the sixth floor, um, there was a button that said 3M. Well, you know, you get into the elevator, staff is in there and you have a, a meeting coming up and you're always rushed. and pretty much for the first couple of months you're at the museum, you have something to do every single night, maybe two or three or four things every single night. And so for some unknown reason, although I had a tour of every gallery by each of the curators, every collection, I had no knowledge of 3M. <laughs> um, and one day, friends came on a Saturday to visit me in Baltimore, from Baltimore. <laughs> and um, so I said I was going to give them a tour. And we happened to run in to the chief conservator uh, in that particular elevator that led to my office. And um, he said, well, aren't you going to show them 3M? <laughs> and I said, okay. Perfect timing. You're going to take us to 3M. <laughs> and there was an entire floor of storage. I mean, storage all over the building as it is at the yeah. Met, but an entire floor of the most incredible storage. Um, room full of papyri, rooms full of mummies. Um, incredible ancient objects uh, from uh, all over Europe um, and so on and so forth, but in a storage situation. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, how could I have been here for five <laughs> months and been so busy yeah. that my innate curiosity just, just didn't have me push 3M one day and get off. Well, it did. Um, it just took you five months to get there. But and I'm admitting this on international, online, virtual programming. So um, um, there's always more to discover, as you know, in all of these always. museums, which is part of the fun. And we also have incredible tour guides uh, in our curators and educators. And yeah. I always try to. I've always tried, as you do now, listen to what they say when they talk to groups and sometimes even to kids 
because uh, often that's the clearest, yeah, the clearest right. response you're going to get. There's always learning out there if you're open to it, and everyone at these museums who has training and interest can tell us something if we're if we listen. It's I agree that we all have our 3M, and it's nice that every few months there's a new 3M, a new thing to learn, a new thing to discover. It's a it's a real privilege. I agree. Exactly. Well, speaking of that, it is a privilege to have you on uh, my little program, and I'm sure that anyone who has uh, had the good sense to tune in has uh, learned a lot. And I look forward to seeing you. It's been a very long time. And uh, one day when this is all over and you're still going for an early morning or a late evening walkthrough at the Met, um, I'd be happy to accept an invitation to do well, that with you. I'd be delighted. I'll show you our 3M. It's a very special place. I look forward to doing it with you. <laughs> I'd be thrilled. Dan, um, stay well, you and your family. Keep taking those walks through the Met, and uh, we'll see you very soon. Great. I look forward to it, and thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you. Uh, great privilege. Terrific to see you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was my friend, CEO and President of the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Daniel Weiss. I hope you will join me for my next episode of Art Matters at Home when photographer and filmmaker Timothy Greenfield Sanders will be with us. <laughs>